And so, if you would please turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're looking at the entire first chapter, though we'll begin by reading the first uh, five verses today. And I also want to let you know that this is not uh, solely a Sunday series. This next Wednesday night, which is our, the most important meeting of the church in the entire month, is prayer night, where we come together for the purpose of praying in, uh, for needs within the church and then outside of the church. Uh, this is the most important thing we do. And uh, I would encourage you to be a part of it, not just for that, but the devotional uh, this, um, uh, this Wednesday night is going to be the first 14 verses of the second chapter of Galatians. And then we'll take over uh, from there on Sunday morning. So Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. What a, what a special thing that we are going to be spending the next few months doing nothing except Focusing on the gospel. Amen. Thinking purely on the gospel. Would you stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. During this series, you're going to be hearing from everyone on the teaching team. However, we're primarily going to be hearing from Pastor Charlie. He'll do uh, one half of the messages. The epistles are his sweet spot. And so we're just going to turn him loose and let him run, and I'm looking forward uh, to hearing from him. And the other three of us will fill in and uh, will preach the other messages. In the book of Galatians, we're reading Paul writing to the churches in southern Galatia, likely prior to the Jerusalem council that we read about in Acts chapter 15. That occurred somewhere between 48 and 50 A.D. So one way to put it is that Paul is writing between Acts chapter 14 and chapter 15. If you want to know what happened between those two chapters, read the book of Galatians, because this is his letter to the churches in Galatia, in that region, who were being, um, well, threatened by agitators who were trying to diminish the gospel that the apostle Paul had taught them. So I think it might even be a good idea for you just as a homework assignment to read Galatians 13 through chapter 15. It's going to give you wonderful background material to be able to fully understand what's happening. Now the reason uh, that I'm suggesting that it was written during that time frame is because Paul was ministering to, in the churches in Galatia in chapter 13 and chapter 14. And then in chapter 15, there was a dispute that needed to be settled. And so the apostles came, centered in Jerusalem then, and had what is known as the Jerusalem Council, where they presented the problem uh, that, uh, of what these agitators were teaching in the churches. And the uh, Jerusalem apostles settled the matter. 
Uh, they settle the matter and says, no, it's this, it is not that. Uh, their gospel that they're teaching is not correct. Now, when we talk about another gospel, and we're going to use that kind of language, please know there's only one true gospel. Anything that has added anything or taken anything away from the true gospel is no gospel at all. It is not good news, it is bad news. So when we talk about another gospel, we're not saying there's a cafeteria choice for you to choose from. There's only one. And yet, these agitators had come in and were teaching, no, it's not what Paul has said. Paul is wrong. Who is this Paul anyway? What authority does he have? And so a lot of the first chapter of the book of Galatians is Paul establishing his authority. Something that he doesn't have to do in his other letters. But he's being, the gospel is being attacked by attacking the messenger. But they're attacking the wrong messenger here. There's no weak link with the Apostle Paul. There's no gap in what he is teaching. Now, I say it happened before Acts 15, because after Acts 15, there was no longer any question. The apostles spoke, and the churches all lined up behind the correct doctrine. And if Paul would have had this problem to address after Acts 15, all he'd have to do is to say, I refer to the Jerusalem Council. The apostles have already settled this. Now, this is important because it gives us a context to understand what Paul is teaching. You see, there's a problem whenever we open up any epistle and start reading it to understand the background because we're first, we're reading somebody else's mail. Now, there's a sense in which all of God's word is written directly to you, but you were not the first recipients of it. It was intended for someone else. And so not only do we ask questions like who wrote it, uh, who did he write it to, what time is it, you know, what is the error, that's why I just said it between 48 and 50 AD so we would know. We ask those kinds of questions, but then we ask, well, why? What is the issue behind it? Well, the best way I can describe this is it's today like listening to a spouse or a friend on a phone call and they don't have it on speaker and you're hearing half the conversation, and from that half of the conversation, you figure out who they're talking to and the general subject matter, whether there's a problem or so forth. We're able to do that just by, well, is it eavesdropping if it's in our own home? I don't know. But we can do that just by eavesdropping. Well, that's what we're having to do here, is we read Paul's one half, and we figure out what the opponents were saying. However, we have an advantage. This is not the only letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. So we're able to lie down his greeting to the other churches and people that he wrote to next to this one, and we're able to figure out some unique things about this particular uh, situation. In this case, we're able to figure out that some agitators were stirring up some trouble in the churches. And I'm using the word agitators because the word that Paul uses in Greek when he refers to them, that's how it's translated as agitators. 
Uh, they're also known as Judaizers, and that's because of the content of their teaching. Because they're teaching really to become a Christian, you must also be a Jew and keep the ceremonies of the Jewish faith. And so it's not just faith alone, grace alone, but it's faith alone, grace alone, plus, and friends, it doesn't matter what you put in that blank. You put anything in that blank, in this case, it was circumcision, but it doesn't matter what you put in that blank, the minute you start adding to the gospel, you no longer are teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know this is mind-blowing. It doesn't make any sense. Because every other religion teaches that there's something you must do. That your salvation comes through your efforts. And so it blows our mind when we come to the fact that the only thing that we do to become a Christian is to believe. And then when we do a real search of the scripture, we learn that God gives us the faith to express in that believing in the first place. And then we confess with our mouth the thing that has taken place, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, when we look at that, we say it can't be that easy. Something has to be missing, and so it's so easy to start adding things to it. Well, we know that they're stirring up trouble, the agitators are, they're questioning Paul's credibility, and they're telling the converts that they have not been taught correctly. The gospel, in their view, was missing an important element that was very important to Judaism. Probably the two things that were the most important in Judaism were circumcision and keeping of the Sabbath. Those two probably rose to the top. And so they're saying, there's no way that you can be saved without that, without the circumcision. By Paul's tone at the beginning, we can deduce that these were churches were falling for the false teaching. And they were concluding that the gospel they received was questionable, that it was erroneous, and that Paul who taught them was not an authentic apostle. Let me help you listen to one side of the conversation, or at least let you know how when I listened to the one side of the conversation, I came to this conclusion. I want you to notice that when Paul refers to himself as an apostle, he lets them know that it was not a man-made title, that this title that he had as apostle was authority that came from God. Now, Paul often in his greetings, in the opening of his letters, sometimes pairs uh, that uh, he is an apostle with something else. For instance, in Philemon, he says that he's also a prisoner of Christ. Or in Titus, Romans, and Philippians, he points out that he is a servant of God. But this is the only time when he mentions that he's an apostle does he tease out and explicitly state that this was not a man-made title, that his apostleship came to him from Jesus Christ. Now, in nine of his letters, he mentions, uh, he says to the people, grace and peace. He gives both, both of those titles. 
Uh, he, adds, he adds grace to the normal Jewish greeting of peace. He does that nine times. Here he expands it with a strong gospel-centric statement in verse 4. He doesn't just say grace and peace. Now, peace they would expect, the Jewish people would expect that greeting. Grace is a, is a substantially Christian greeting. This is common. What was uncommon in this particular greeting is how in verse 4, he gives this, actually he gives the gospel in a nutshell, doesn't he, in verse 4. And he is pointing out by doing this, he's reinforcing what the true gospel is. In other words, he's saying, you want grace and peace? I'm giving it to you, but here's how it comes. Grace and peace is only available through the gospel. And he goes on to speak about Jesus giving of himself for two reasons. He gave himself to deliver us from this present age and because it was God's will. I point out that he's not denying his Jewish roots. In fact, it amazes me that the agitators would accuse Paul of not being Jewish enough, especially when you read in Philippians. I mean, he was as Jewish as they could come. He was circumcised on the right day. He was trained in the right way. Everything, he had the perfect pedigree uh, that was possible. Uh, uh, he's not denying those Jewish roots. The, the greeting of peace is still there. But pairing it with the Christian grace talks about the kind of peace, the welfare, uh, the well-being, the wholeness that he's referring to. Uh, for years, the Jewish greeting was peace. May you be whole. When you add grace to it, it explains how we can be whole through Jesus Christ. And this is important because of the nature of the agitator's gospel perversion. Because we've read other of Paul's epistles, we now expect him to tell the people why he is thankful for them. Or we expect him to offer an encouraging word. He does that almost every time. The only exceptions are here in Galatians and then in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he warns them against false teachers. And then in Titus, where he directs them to appoint elders to the church. But in 1 Timothy and Titus, the tone is still friendly. Not so in Galatians. No friendly tone here. He gets right to the point. Now, I don't know what your practice is when you need to write a pointed email. Mine is first not to do it in the email client. I do it in Word because I don't want to accidentally send it. <laughs> right? The other thing that I do is I make sure I don't send it the day I write it. Hey, listen, this is good advice I'm giving you right now. Don't send it the day I write it. And the third thing that I do is I make sure to add a paragraph up higher before I get around to the pointed thing that I want to say that affirms the person and lets them know, hey, you know, I'm not happy about this, but I still am happy about you, right? Uh, those, those kinds of practices have served me well over the years. And then the fourth thing that I often do is read it on the next day and delete it. 
Because the next day I realized the problem is not with them, it's with me. And instead, I need to repent. Anybody want to say ouch or amen? I mean, you can say either. Either is appropriate. Well, the Apostle Paul had not heard my lecture on email writing. Because he gives this grace and peace, and then he digs in. Let's read it, starting in verse 6. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel for heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now this is strong language. As we have said before, so that now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He didn't just copy and paste that. He had to write it again. For I am now seeking, I am not, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's not that, okay, so they've attacked the credibility of Paul. Not really an apostle. Paul has already emphasized this is not a man-made apostleship. It's come from Christ, and he's going to talk about more about that in a minute. But in essence, what he is saying to them, you are not deserting me, you are deserting Christ. I mean, it's one thing to not accept the teaching that Paul gave. It is another to have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, having been bought with his own blood. And looking at Jesus and saying it wasn't enough. Your blood is not enough. Paul lets them know it's not me you're turning on, it's Christ. When you turn on the gospel, You've turned on the author of the gospel, not the proclaimer of the gospel. And Paul says, you've turned from Christ. Later, he uses a phrase that we often misuse. We'll cover it later in this series of how they had fallen from grace. He's speaking to the whole, not to an individual. And falling from grace is not when you lose your salvation. It's when you've walked away from the grace that God has provided for you. It's like tripping and falling. And it wasn't an individual he was concerned about doing it. It was a church, and it wasn't just a church. It was a group of churches. Because these agitators, at least until this point, were winning the arm wrestling contest. But you see, they miscalculated who their opponent was. And I'm not talking about the Apostle Paul. I don't think he had bulging biceps. 
I'm referring to the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because the credibility of the gospel supersedes whoever is presenting it. The credibility is on Jesus and what he has done for us. Now, this perverted gospel is no gospel at all, and Paul makes that clear here. When he's talking about, when we're talking about another gospel, that there's not two that you can choose from. Paul is upholding the fact that the true gospel is unchanging. And there is no alteration to it that should be believed. And then he goes further and he repeats himself. And whoever tells you this should be cursed. That's a strong. I often say bless you. I never say curse you. Do you? Speaking of emails, I sign off on my emails. Blessings. I want, I want people to experience blessings. The, the clerk at, at the Walmart, I say bless you. Uh, somebody asked me how I'm doing. I'm blessed. Cursed? I'm telling you, Paul's got some energy around this issue. And he doesn't just say it once. He repeats it. So you don't read it and say, what did he say? I don't know about you, but when I'm reading about something, I don't know anything about it. I have to read it three or four times. Well, I think, you know, the, the worst thing is those Ikea instructions. My goodness. My goodness. I need grace in my life when I need to put something together, especially if somebody wants to talk to me while I'm trying to figure it all out, right? Ask me about what I want for dinner later. I need my full attention on this. Part J, part J. Where's part J? And now they're writing them in such small letters. I don't know. It's not that I'm getting older. But it's getting more difficult to see. Well, Paul doesn't want any confusion about this. He wants you to know. He writes it twice. Yes, you read it right. I'm saying let them be accursed. Paul is writing here without nuance. There is nothing subtle about what he's saying. And sometimes that's what's needed. If the building is on fire, you don't want somebody to walk around saying, are you smelling any smoke anywhere? I wonder what that is. Is that special effects? Do you want somebody to say, get out of here? And you don't even care if they don't say please or thank you, right? When there's a problem, give it to me straight. Give it to me bluntly. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And by the way, how would they have felt when they were receiving this letter? Now think about it. Normally, I think you would feel honored if your apostle that had helped found you and had taught you was writing you, but I bet they had a sick feeling in their stomach. They had to know that what they were doing was wrong. I mean, forget about the fact that they were allowing someone 
to speak behind Paul's back. You know, why didn't somebody in the congregation stand up and say, hey, you got a problem with Paul, go talk to him. In fact, we'll send for him. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get him here so you can talk to him. I mean, that's the biblical thing, right? If you have a problem with somebody, you talk to them. But these cowards weren't doing that. They were going behind Paul's back and trying to undo the hard work that he had done. But again, I remind you, the gospel... The gospel is not created by the speaker. The gospel is created by the blood of Jesus, and you cannot undo that. That's a bell that cannot be unrung. Because he didn't just die, but the third day he rose from the grave, victorious. Paul makes it clear that they know that this gospel is not his gospel. Let's rejoin the text in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. <clears throat> For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous that I was for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, let's take a breath. Verse 15. Focus on this as I read it again. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul did not simply receive the facts about the gospel from Jesus. He received the gospel from Jesus. There is a big difference between those two things. And we cannot, and it's so easy in the first chapter of Galatians when we're talking about the true gospel and you can't add to it. It's so easy for us to focus only on the facts of the gospel. And where our mind always goes is to the irreducible minimums of the gospel. Okay, what do you need to do to be saved? And the answer that follows is accurate and correct. That we believe, we confess. And we miss the fuller, more pregnant gospel. It's not just about the facts. It's about what it does in our lives. It changes who we are. You know, I've noticed over the years that when someone comes to Christ, there's a new glow they have. There's a, their countenance is different. The way they, they're, 
The way they bear themselves is different. The gospel changes their appearance. The gospel does things for people that Maybelline only wish they could bottle. There's a beauty that emerges. Husbands, this is a good time to turn to your wife and tell her how beautiful she is. Darling, no one compares to you. There's a change that it makes. It changes the way that we talk. I've met people that came to Christ and lost half their vocabulary. It's amazing how few words it really takes to order through the drive-thru. I mean, it doesn't take all those expletives. It's amazing what the gospel can do. It changes what we think. It changes how we respond. Paul, Paul's life was changed. He was a persecutor of the church and now an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was trying, could you be more different? You see, he didn't just learn the facts about the gospel, he experienced the gospel, and he is experiencing the gospel. Paul did not cease being a Jew when he became a Christian. He just stopped trusting in his Judaism for his salvation. It was now the gospel. I uh, paused and read one verse twice, verse 15. Sometimes when you read several verses together, one of them can get buried, and, th and that's okay, I suppose. But I really wanted to call that one out. Because I want you to reflect for a moment that Saul of Tarsus, his parents, had a plan for his life, and they were very proud of what their son had become before the road to Damascus. And now, all of a sudden, he's on a different path. I wonder how disappointed his parents were in him when he put his faith in Christ. And his life was radically changed. However, his parents' wishes for him were superseded by God's divine intent from before he was born. Does this sound familiar? I mean, this is at the core of our study through Samuel's life, wasn't it? Samuel was dedicated to God from birth. Before he was born, his mother intended to give that child to God, and God took her up on that. And God had a plan for Samuel from the very beginning. It wasn't just for Samuel either. Paul's life, God had a plan for him. His plan was not for him to stamp out the church. 
It was for him to be a church planter par excellence. It was for him to be a letter writer that would form a good bit of our New Testament that we study and learn from uh, today. You know, whenever we speak of the gospel and grace, Paul's, Paul's mission was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And whenever we speak of the gospel and grace, it's easy for us to think about our eternal destiny and miss the whole concept of our life purpose. God's activity of election and your subsequent activity of responding to his irresistible grace settles where you're going to spend eternity, but it also clarifies how you're going to spend the rest of your life. For Samuel, for the rest of his life, he would listen to and respond to the voice of God, would receive correction from God, and would change what he was going to do based upon what God told him to do. He would listen, he would respond, and he was faithful. He was priest, he was judge, he was prophet. In all of those roles, he served God. For Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle on the road to Damascus, from the beginning of time, God had purposed him to be a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. And it doesn't make sense. Why would you get a Jew of Jews to be the proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles? Because Paul had the credibility to handle this kind of stuff he was having to handle here. You could not question him on his Jewish credibility. And when he who had all of that said, this is not the reason I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. All of this, in fact, he uses very strong language that I cannot correctly interpret the Greek for you and be asked back uh, next, uh, next week. Uh, we just call it rubbish. That's, that's, that's what he calls people that would suggest it is anything else. Everything that he had experienced prior to his life is just rubbish in comparison to what he knows about God. So is this an anomaly? Is this just Paul? Is this just Samuel? No. Isaiah wrote, Listen to me, O coastland, and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver, and he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then Jeremiah wrote, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Listen to me, especially those of you that like to fine tune your theology and like to look at the doctrines of grace. Listen to me. Do not focus only on eternity when you're studying these precious doctrines. The gospel is for today. It is for the way we live today. 
It is for our life destiny, not just our eternal destiny. It is not just answering the question, where are you going to live after you die? It's answering the question, who will you live for when you're still alive? And we can get so confused when we approach Galatians 1 with the irreducible minimum of the gospel. Make no mistake about it. Giving your life to Christ does not save you, but once he has saved you, he owns your life. He owns what you think about, what you do with your time, what you do with your financial resources. He has it all because he is Lord. I think if you were to count up in the New Testament the number of times he's called Savior, I think you'll be in the 20s. If you call how many time, count up how many times he's called Lord in the New Testament, it's over 700. He is Lord. You cannot come to Christ apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is never something you have. It is something that has you. It changes the way that we live. You said, okay, preacher, so you've pointed out some few people from the Bible. What's that got to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Could it be any clearer? So that you may not boast. Then verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. It's up on the screen. Can you read it for with me? Let's start over from the beginning. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He had them for Samuel. He had them for Isaiah. He had them for Jeremiah. He had them for the Apostle Paul. He has them for you, sister. He has them for you, brother. He has them for you. The gospel changes everything. Yes, it changes our eternity. But it also changes our activity here on life. Now watch what happens next. Watch this closely. Right now, some of you are timid and shy thinking, oh my goodness, I could never do great things for God. What are you talking about, preacher? How could that happen? The same way that you came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the gospel who did everything in you. We don't accomplish great works because we're great people. Folks, we are totally depraved, every one of us. Every one of us. We were born into this sin-soaked world and we've added to the numbers of sins that have been committed. Every one of us. And if there's any good that any of us does, it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can have confidence. Put the verse back up on the screen, please. Ephesians 2.10. Because God has put those works beforehand, he's, he's destined them, he's prepared them. All I've got to do is walk in them. The ones he's chosen for me. It's the gospel that empowers us. It's the gospel that in spite of our personalities and our weaknesses and our inabilities and our fears that allows us to be used by God. Just like it's the gospel that saves us even in the midst of our sins. Paul received the facts of the gospel and the gospel directly from Christ. But it was no different than the gospel of the other apostles. And for, in Galatians 1, 18 through 24, it'll be up on the screen. You can see that Paul made a visit to Jerusalem. And all those observed what was happening in Paul's life just rejoiced at what had happened. Paul lived out the gospel and the result was those that watched him glorified God because of it. Well, that's where we stop today and we'll see more in the weeks ahead about how the gospel uh, plays out and the teaching of the agitators and so forth. But right now, here's the truth that I want us to focus on. That it is the gospel and the gospel alone that sets us free from our sin and empowers us to live transformed lives. It is the gospel and the gospel alone. And for some of you today, you need to receive the gospel for the first time. For the first time, you need to give up trying and let God transform you. And during our prayer time, I invite you to come. Our prayer team will be here. Just come and say, you know, I need to receive the gospel for the first time in my life. And whoever you come and talk to will pray with you and will follow up with you later. The only, the only chance we have in this life and the next to fulfill our intended purpose is through Christ. But there may be others of you who long ago appropriated the gospel to your salvation. And yet you've held back in walking in the purposes that God has before ordained for you to walk in. Remember, this was settled before you were born. Settled before you're born. He purposed you for you to do these good works. And maybe some of you would come and Allow us to pray with you that God will give you strength as you trust the power of the gospel to do the things that he's calling you to do. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? What do I need to be doing? God will tell you. He'll let you know. Uh, let me uh, mirror the words of Eli. The next time he speaks to you, just say, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm listening. And then do what the Lord tells you to do. Our response is to immerse ourselves in the gospel, to reject any gospel that says differently.
And then allow the gospel to be lived out in our lives.